heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Well, listen, uh, COVID has forever changed us as a nation. Uh, It has pitted family against family member, friend against friend, and business against worker. Uh, COVID has changed the way we look at governments. COVID has brought grief into our lives. It has surely taught us some lessons. But in between all of this, my fellow Americans, um, let's hope at the end of this that uh, we have some opportunity to, uh, to to make it better, to, to learn from what we've just went through and become better as a people. That is my hope. That is my blessing for all of us in this, uh, in, in this wild, wild ride, this pandemic that has, I, has just devastated so many. And my heart goes out to so many people we hear from on an hourly basis. Uh, really, my compassion is there for each of you. Uh, We're going to dive right into another Q&A here. There's a lot to go through today, my friends. So let's buckle up here and let's do it and and bring as much uh, uh, depth of knowledge and and details information to the airwaves as we can to help many of you out here. Um, On the program with me here, as always, here is Dr. Peter McCullough. uh, And as you know, Dr. McCullough is an academic internist, a cardiologist and epidemiologist from Dallas, Texas. Uh, he surely has been on the front lines here. Um, it's been a blessing to millions of people. Uh, and uh, he surely has made a big difference in this, uh, this, this wild pandemic ride. Uh, starting right at the top here, Dr. McCullough, uh, let's jump right into the questions. This first one is from Robin. She says, and, and this is very uh, uh, heart-wrenching uh, is where I start here. My family just lost our dad uh, to COVID and we need some help in keeping safe. We need someone to help us find a new doctor since the last one did nothing to help us save his life. We live in Orange County, California, and we've tried online to get help with American doctors, et cetera, and no one has helped. We've tried to get ivermectin online through these groups and still no response. You're our last hope. You know, Dr. McCullough, I bring that one up. It's it's a it's a bit. Uh, it might be a little vague, but it just tells you the 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 outpouring and the passion from people. Do you, it you know? So I start there. Okay. Well, Malcolm, thanks for having me on the show, and uh, it's great to be on the other side of the microphone. Uh, the McCullough report is uh, certainly very very high visibility now in the COVID nineteen news cycle, and we publish uh, as you know. Uh, an audio show with um, links and references each week. Uh, one of the important links is the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. You can download the treatment uh, physicians roster. There's a roster, a growing roster between 500 and 600 physicians, many of whom are in California. These are doctors who prescribe medications for patients with COVID-19, and they can help get the important connections there. One of the sentiments in this question, Malcolm, is that individuals have lost trust in their doctors. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, they sure have. And and that's uh, been a problem uh, that we've been dealing with right along here. They've lost trust. That's where I started, actually, in a lot of things. Uh, their doctors and surely their governments and people of, uh, you know, any kind of uh, uh, part of this uh, pandemic, uh, Dr. McCullough. So, all right. Uh, AAPS is just an outstanding organization that Dr. McCullough mentions there. Uh, the work they're doing is incredible. That's why he brings it up as often as he does. So it's a great resource. And they do have that live list of doctors. So please go there. This next one is from Adrian, uh, says uh, blood clots, heart problems have occurred in people months after COVID vaccination. Are there any preventive steps like, for instance, low dose aspirin or prescription treatments uh, they're asking here? Malcolm, I do think it's important to recognize that a principal complication of all of the COVID-19 vaccines is blood clots. Just like with the respiratory infection, blood clots can happen. I just saw in my clinic, a woman who I've cared for for 10 years. I know her very well. Uh, six months after the Johnson Johnson vaccine, her entire arm clotted off wow. and it was an emergency. There was no blood flow. She had to have an emergency procedure to get a blood thinner called a thrombolytic uh, and open up the blood vessel. Now she has to have surgery. This is six months. I reported it to the vaccine adverse event reporting system. I think it's important that individuals consider a couple of factors. One, if they have a family history of blood clotting disorders or a perfect a personal history of blood clotting disorders, I think one should really, really uh, stay away from these vaccines. I'm extremely worried about factor five Leiden, prothrombin variant 2021A, factor uh, uh, protein C, protein S deficiencies, uh, MTHFR, these are the common genetic abnormalities related to blood clotting, patients know about them, steer clear of these vaccines. If one has taken a vaccine, I think it's prudent at least for 30 days uh, to take aspirin and probably full dose aspirin, 325 milligrams. Mm -hmm. After that, um, it's just, again, it's just my general gut feeling, aspirin 81 milligrams a day uh, to be continued probably for six to 12 months. I see. You know, I wanted to ask you about the aspirin, Dr. McCullough. Did you see the recent reports uh, that had come out? I think it was through the FDA that was talking about their suggested now not taking aspirin as a routine measure for um, for this sort of thing. Uh, not so much for COVID, but I'm talking in general, you know, people always take the aspirin for the blood. And did you see those reports? They were suggesting that that's not a good idea. You know, every so often this cycles about debate, does aspirin uh, you know, generally do something or not? Let me just say that the literature in general shows aspirin is protective against heart attacks, about a 15% relative risk reduction. And a lot of people don't realize this, but aspirin is actually also protective against colon cancer. There is a test that uh, one can ask for to indicate if they need aspirin. And the test is called the Aspirin Works test. Aspirin works, and it's a urine test. It's available through Quest and LabCorp. I use this test every day in my practice. And I think if more doctors did it, we'd identify the people who really need aspirin. But as a routine, instead of the 325 in a, in a preventive sort of mode, you're saying there's an 80, what, 81 or something you said? Yeah, baby aspirin is 81 a day. And commonly, uh, to, to reduce the risks of GI bleeding, um, I actually recommend aspirin every other day. That's, you know, I was going to ask you that. All right, perfect, perfect. So, all right, Abby says, uh, I've yet to read any information or see any studies about the safety of transfusions from vaccinated persons. Based on your knowledge of how the vaccine uses the Myrna to create the spike proteins, can you postulate the effects or possibility of what damage could come of this? Would your body be able to clear the spikes after time? Would the type of transfusion you have make a difference? Uh, for instance, if you got uh, platelets, would you be less likely to receive spikes in the transfusion versus if you got whole blood? 
This is very frustrating. The Association of American uh, Blood Banking, as well as the American Red Cross, were notified this spring uh, of the um, fact that patients getting the vaccine were not precluded from donating blood. In fact, someone could take the vaccine and then two days later uh, donate blood and uh, probably donate blood rich in both the lipid nanoparticles and the messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA, but also in nascent spike, spike protein production. And so the concern is the spike protein clearly is pathogenic. That's what produces the fever, uh, the blood clotting, the damage to blood vessels. And uh, receipts were received from these organizations say, yes, we recognize the concern, yet nothing was done. I can just tell you that for pooled blood products, so pooled uh, various forms of plasma, cryoprecipitate, there's probably enough antibodies from everybody vaccinated and those who have recovered to, in a sense, mop up the spike protein and make it a non-issue. But I think there still is a worry about packed red blood cells that go from donor to recipient. Alejandro uh, says, uh, question, uh, I have an urgent question for Dr. McCullough. Uh, my father, age 68, had a minor heart attack uh, four weeks ago. He had a stent put in and everything seems to be fine. After two weeks of rest, he returned back to work. He's a gardener. He feels good uh, back to normal. Uh, he hasn't had the vaccine yet. He's booked in for Pfizer in just a few days. I am uh, vaccine hesitant personally. My dad is a bit uh, apathetic and just does what my mom tells him. <laughs> mom is very paranoid of COVID, understandably, as she follows too much uh, media. Uh, what would your recommendations be if you were my dad's doctor regarding getting the vaccine post heart attack? I'm very concerned this may not end well for my dad. Well, keep in mind, I can't give direct medical advice because I'm not the acting physician, but let me just say in general, um, I'm very concerned. This spike protein causes blood clots. We know a blood clot in a freshly implanted stent can be catastrophic. It's called acute stent thrombosis. In a paper published uh, by um, uh, a research group that I'm a co-author, so if one looks this up on PubMed, you can see that in respiratory COVID-19, when we put in a stent for an acute heart attack, there's a 20% chance that stent clogs off because the spike protein is so thrombogenic. I think the same principles apply with the vaccine. I think the vaccine should be given very, very distant in time, if it's given at all, for someone who has a freshly implanted stent. All right. This one's from Margaret. Uh, a couple of relatives of mine, plus a few sets of friends have been vaccinated and just recently contracted COVID-19. It seems to be rampant in the vaccinated. These are the only people we hear about personally who are contracting COVID-19. Our friends and family all seem to be recovering with reduced symptoms. Will they now have immunity to COVID-19 going forward, or will they still be susceptible to a stronger variant that may come along? Now, once uh, one has the respiratory infection, even if they've in the background been vaccinated, their immunity now will be complete. You know, it'll be robust, it'll be durable. And the observation that most patients who are getting COVID-19 are vaccinated is true because most people have taken the vaccine. We're at the point now, Malcolm, we're in the 43rd United Kingdom report uh, that's put out the surveillance report on COVID-19 vaccinations they now have in the United Kingdom, people over age 50, they have uh, far greater than 80% in some age groups, over 92% of individuals are fully vaccinated in the UK. And so those unfortunately dying of COVID-19 in the UK, the current estimates from that report is 
8% of individuals dying with COVID-19 in the UK are fully vaccinated. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. Uh, Ellen uh, says, um, I have heard that around the world, the SARS-CoV-2 virus has never been isolated. But scientists have identified over a dozen variants with specific changes in the spike protein. How can variants be identified unless the virus is isolated? The... um, Issue of isolation, I look at this as almost like a trick question that kids ask each other. Um, viruses are not like bacteria where they're isolated in a bacterial culture. But what we know with, um, with COVID-19 is that it does exist as, a, um, as an entity. And I refer the, um, the uh, listeners to a paper uh, by the first author. His last name is Caldas, C-A-L-D-A-S, and you can look this up. And the name of the paper is Ultrastructural Analysis of SARS-CoV-2 Interactions with the Host Cell via High-Resolution Scanning Electron Microscopy. The Caldas paper is the best paper to quote on the fact that the virus really exists. You can see it within cells. It invades cells. It has all the characteristic properties. Now, the sequencing of getting the variants, that's actually done from the DNA. So uh, the the virus, the the, uh, fluid that the virus is in, is basically uh, dig- everything's digested away except for the DNA. And then the DNA, um, uh, I'm sorry, in this case is RNA because it's an RNA virus. The RNA is then sequenced and uh, then we can identify the variant. So we actually don't need to physically isolate and grow the virus in order to be able to do its identification by sequencing, which is done in community health and research labs. Okay, Almi uh, says, first, I wanna thank you for your commitment in bringing truth to the forefront. I am an RN and have seen information floating around about the contents of the vaccine that they include metal and parasites, which are still being studied. Is there truth to this? Why would there be parasites in a vaccine? I've also read that COVID may be parasitic as opposed to viral, maybe explaining why anti-parasitical meds are working uh, to treat. Uh, Would you think that ivermectin could also treat those having vaccine injuries? The lack of transparency by the vaccine manufacturers has led to great speculation. And when I mean lack of transparency, and that is uh, the lack of disclosure of the full ingredient set in the vaccine. So you can imagine if everyone's asked to take a vaccine, but they're not told what's in it, the conjecture can range everything from microchips to parasites to, to um, contaminants. And I would just encourage everybody to Um, to try to stay within the range of what's known. So I've never commented on other things being in the vaccine outside of what's disclosed. That is the lipid nanoparticles and then the messenger adenoviral DNA. So I just can't comment on it because it's unknown. Um, And that uh, we, uh, we, we know enough about the current vaccines and the spike protein to be concerned. We don't need additional things right now. Uh, And I think these will come out as uh, there's additional study. Now in ivermectin, ivermectin remains uh, very useful in treating uh, COVID-19, but because ivermectin has some effects against the spike protein, it has been used empirically in some of the vaccine injury syndromes. I clinically have not done this, uh, but I recognize others are doing it. 
Okay, Robert says, I'm trying to find out information on what Dr. McCullough's opinion is on the Novavax vaccine. I'm currently I'm in a vaccine mandate and I'm going to lose my job. However, someone told me that Novavax vaccine might be like traditional vaccines and more safe, uh, maybe. Look for some hard facts from Dr. McCullough. I'm very favorable towards Novavax. We learned uh, late in the spring that Novavax against the legacy variants looked every bit as good as Pfizer and Moderna, and its clinical trials were large and actually had a longer follow-up. Novavax is a purified spike protein, uh, and it's made in a uh, fashion through a basically a biological system, and it contains no genetic material. Uh, they tested uh, 25 and five micrograms of messenger RNA. And they went with the five micrograms, of, I'm sorry, five micrograms of the spike protein. And they went with five micrograms. So that's actually encouraging. They went with the lower dose. It looks safer than Pfizer, Moderna, J&J and looks every bit as good, but with the legacy variants, the million dollar question is, will the Novavax cover the Delta variant? Uh, it was scheduled to actually be commercialized in July of this year. And sadly, the FDA has delayed it. Novavax is an 800-employee U.S. company, and with Operation Warp Speed and all the U.S. resources, I am uh, very concerned that the FDA is intentionally delaying Novavax as a potentially safer alternative to the other vaccines intentionally uh, because of a potentially favoritism towards Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. But the answer is yes. Wow. Nova, Novavax looks very good. It's like a tetanus shot. It involves no genetic material. There should be nothing that actually goes inside the cells and manipulates the genetics in the cells. And it should be uh, systemically much safer. Mm. That's outrageous what you just shared with that. Your thoughts on that. Do you, um, do, do you see, is there any indication that this is going to be approved shortly uh, in the future here? Well, we're told now the fourth quarter of this year, I did get a breaking news that in Australia, they have brought it forward for approval by the TGA. So the Australians may be the first to get Novavax. Keep in mind that there are 27 vaccines in development. Wow. And just like uh, the, early, the early drugs of almost any category, early vaccines, almost always are not as good as the later ones. It's just like computers or any other technology. Mm, interesting. That's a good, interesting piece of advice for all of us to hear you say that. And uh, that doesn't surprise me, Dr. McCullough. One more follow-up on the Novavax. This one's from Bill. Uh, you've expressed optimism about Novavax, which is the vaccine I had already been holding out for. Well, here's one again. There seems to be good uh, clinical trial uh, data for Novavax. Now, but the other vaccines also had good trial results, uh, then proved uh, catastrophically unsafe in actual practice. He brings up a good point here. I want to monitor actual safety after release of Novavax before signing up for any shot. What source of data would you be watching, he says, 30 days or so after release to tell whether Novavax is actually safe to take? And that's a good question. We're going to have to watch sporadic case reports. Now, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System by the CDC will have a, um, you know, you can do a differential query and see how much of any vaccine is used and the safety report there. Let me just state uh, the reason why Novavax biologically should be far safer is because the amount of spike protein is limited. It's very limited to five micrograms. When one takes an injection of Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, the spike protein in the human body is unlimited. And so each person probably produces a much different quantities of the spike protein, explains why one person would have a little reaction and the next person would have a fatal event.
Yeah. All right. This one's from Karen. I was wondering what might stop the side effects if I take the jab. I, I hear a lot of these kinds of uh, questions here. I heard one person say to take three uh, milligrams of um, ivermectin. Now, I've heard that as well. The day before, the day of, and the next day. Uh, I, is, is there truth to that? Now, I haven't seen any credible evidence that there's an antidote uh, for individuals that take the vaccine. And, and it's interesting because the question is really posited towards this idea of, can I have my cake and eat it too? Can I take it? Can I take the vaccine and get some type of social contract value and at the same time not be medically injured? Mm -hmm. Right now, I can't see this. Uh, there are two links that I commonly send people for this. They're not my ideas, but they're links to other ideas where there's a blend of nutraceuticals or other things to try to buff it against the uh, adverse effects of the vaccines. Okay. If you send me those links, I'll put them in the post here when this is in podcast, Dr. McCullough, okay, uh, on this here that you say with the, uh, the ivermectin. And I do hear a lot of questions about that. I love what you say about the social contract and the value, the cake and eat it too. Aren't we really all trying to do that, Dr. McCullough? I mean, come on. <laughs> Boy, I, I would just love to take, if someone said the vaccine was placebo and you could just take it and go on with your life, I mean, yeah. who wouldn't do it, right? I know, I know. That's what they told my wife when she was in the ICU with that uh, antibodies uh, treatment we had that uh, it could be the placebo and so oh, okay all right but we really don't know because it's a study from the university you know so it's that's kind of one of those kind of things now uh, this one's from Gretchen uh, hello and God bless you for speaking truth in a Satan worshiping world wow I had no intention in getting the jab but my son who is not walking with the Lord agreed to go to church with me for six months if I get the jab this is why I found this question so remarkable. Listen to this. I agreed to get it because I know that God's word never goes void. And since my pastor preaches straight from the Bible, he will hear the truth. I know he is not hearing it anywhere else. And his eternal salvation is more important than my health. Wow. I will take ivermectin to prevent side effects from initial shot, but wondering if you would give me some guidance on which shot to take. I'm 62, good health, no comorbidities. Thank you for all you're doing. I'll be praying for you. So this is from Gretchen. That was quite an email, wasn't it? It was. Uh, we'll stick to the science. In terms of the best vaccine to actually prevent COVID-19 hospitalization and death, I've looked at all the differential uh, analysis papers. Actually, the best vaccine in terms of efficacy is Moderna. Moderna's held out the best in terms of vaccine efficacy. It's 100 micrograms of messenger RNA uh, per shot. It's three times greater than that of Pfizer. However, Moderna looks like in some analyses, it's the leader in terms of side effects and fatal side effects. So there's really no self, uh, safe choice here, but they are differential in terms of their overall impact on safety and efficacy. Yeah, uh, you're, uh, I love your answer there. You're funny. I'll stick to the, to the science. Uh, good answer, Doc. Uh, so this one's from Carol. I watched the presentation to AAPS and have shared it widely to friends and family. Please extend our deepest gratitude to Dr. McCullough. Uh, my husband and I are seniors in our middle and upper 70s, non-vaxxed, who were taken ivermectin prophylactically, but did eventually contract COVID. We have out-of-state family who wish to come and visit for some days, and we are concerned about shedding uh, from the vax. 
We are aware that this does exist, and it was in the EUA documents from the producers of the drugs. We are having them stay at a local hotel. Do we need to be concerned about this during interactions like dinner and so forth? You know, just the remarkable essence of this kind of an email disturbs me when the what which is where I started the program today, Dr. McCullough, talking about the separation of families and friends and business acquaintances, and here we are. But what do you say about this, Shedden, and their involvement with them? If the couple as I understand it, if they've already had COVID-19 and they've recovered, then they don't really have any risks at all about having vaccinated people around them. It's only newly vaccinated people within the first four weeks who go around unvaccinated, still susceptible individuals that there can be some minor shedding. I think overall shedding has been overstated. Uh, There's been some minor uh, uh, symptoms, uh, changes in menses in young people, I've seen expression of uh, shingles in a young person. Uh, But I tell you, seniors who want to get together, go ahead and get together. Don't stay in a hotel. Have them come over to your house. And, uh, you know, I have to say something. I've never seen a biological or medicinal therapy be so divisive. Uh, How can a vaccine, uh, an injection, divide families and separate friends? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. That's why why we started right there. Uh, This one's from Connie. Uh, So you have the first two Pfizer vaccines. Should you get the booster? We have a situation now. Let's just review this, uh, what the current uh, FDA, CDC recommendations are, are Pfizer. Pfizer's 30 micrograms of messenger RNA. For someone who's immunocompromised, let's take that group. Immunocompromised means an organ transplant, some type of rare uh, immune problem, and then also people who take steroids in higher doses. This is the bigger, biggest group. That'd be asthma, COPD, people with uh, polymyalgia, rheumatica, other conditions. If you're on prednisone chronically, systemic lupus as an example, the current recommendations are Pfizer shot one, then a month later, Pfizer shot two, then a month later, Pfizer shot three, and then six months after that, Pfizer shot four. You know what my concern is, Malcolm? With each shot, the body literally gets loaded with the Wuhan wild-type spike protein. And the spike protein deposits in all the tissues in the body, the brain, the heart, the critical organs. And we now know in a paper from Bruce Patterson et al. that was uh, presented in preprint format on July 29th, that the spike protein itself, it takes 15 months for the body to clear out this spike protein. So can you imagine this kind of loading and loading and loading and loading of spike protein? How can the body ever clear this stuff out? And no wonder uh, after the respiratory infection and after vaccine, people feel bad. They have muscle aches, brain fog, headaches, uh, ringing in the ears. You know, it goes on and on. This spike protein is everywhere and we can't get it out of the body. So I'm extremely concerned about boosters because of this spike protein loading. There is a paper that just passed through our research group this morning. I just, I mean, this, this news just keeps coming up. Listen to this. The first author is Jiang, J-I-I-N-G. And the title of the paper is SARS-CoV-2 spike protein impairs DNA damage repair and inhibits the uh, VDJ combination, recombination in vitro. You know what this is telling you? This is telling the spike protein is actually linked to the future development of cancer if you can't get this stuff out of your body. You know, thank you for that answer. Uh, So important people hear what you just say there. I mean, it's a trade-off basically back to the social contract or whatever it is. Is it worth your life or the chance or the risk of? For me in my life, I 
I was, I just, you know, I'd rather face COVID than to deal with all this nonsense, but that's me, people. You know, everybody has to decide for themselves, which is why we're talking about these things. Uh, this next one, Dr. McCullough is from Pam. Uh, I'd like to know what Dr. McCullough thinks about using bioactive silver, hydrosol, colloidal silver as an immunity building or treatment option, either orally or gargle or nose spray. The data that I'm aware of for the oral nasal application is actually quite strong. Uh, the virus is clearly killed by a whole variety of various elements, iodine, silver, uh, hydrogen peroxide. And so uh, one can almost use uh, any virucidal agent they want to. I, I, I would just say this. I think the best proven is the povidone iodine or betadine, uh, dilute betadine, two teaspoons, six ounces of water in a, in a juice glass. Uh, gargle, and then uh, a nasal spray up the nose twice a day, particularly in days when you leave the house. If you're going to go out to church or uh, congregate settings, uh, you're going to meet people in business, come back home and go ahead and gargle and do the nasal spray. That's if you're susceptible. That means you, you have been vaccinated or not vaccinated, but you've never had COVID-19. Once you've had COVID-19, like you and me, Malcolm, we don't have any restrictions. We don't have to do any nose sprays or gargles. We're good. We can't get it a second time. Amen. Yeah. Uh, on this uh, sort of same topic, a couple of questions here. This one's from Dawn. Uh, hey, uh, Malcolm and team, I love the program and so glad to have found you. In regards to the Betadine nasal spray that uh, Dr. McCullough said you could use, comes in a blue bottle instead of mixing your own. The one I saw online is by the brand Betadine, but it does not contain povidine iodine. Instead, it's mostly carrageenine, is it? Carrageenine. Um, is there a different one or is that the one Dr. McCullough recommends? Well, I need to take a look at those products. So I'm glad that listener did their uh, checking there. You want to go for povidone iodine. I believe it comes in five or 10% solutions. The point is uh, it can be diluted. Just the bottle that you can buy at the local grocery store or pharmacy, it's so cheap. You can make your own solution. And, uh, you know, any nasal spray bottle, you can literally just, uh, you know, aspirate it up in the bottle and then spray it. It is, uh, you know, it's an anti-infective solution, so it doesn't become contaminated. We recommend that six ounces of water and then get rid of it at the end of the day and then start over uh, the next day. Uh, that's probably the best. One caveat, if it stings in the nose and mouth, it's too strong, diluted some more. It should not sting. Those who have an allergy to iodine or allergy to contrast dye, um, uh, stay away from betadine and you'll need to move on to uh, dilute hydrogen peroxide or maybe uh, to the silver or other solutions. Okay. Regina says, thank you for your voice. I am wanting to know how, how is it that we can get the flu every year, but you have stated once we get COVID, we will not get it again. I had COVID in January. It's pretty sick. Uh, but uh, with the regiment, et cetera, I recovered well. I have had several nurses state, we have had many people that have gotten it twice, which I know is not true due to faulty PCR tests, et cetera. I, want, I would like knowledge to back up your theory. Can you provide me with information regarding my question? I would welcome references to share the evidence. The way to think about this is there are some respiratory viruses that one gets, and once they get it, the immunity is permanent. So the example is mumps. You get mumps. If you've had mumps as a kid, you're done. You can't get mumps a second time. Same thing with chickenpox. You get chickenpox. It's once. You can't get it a second time. With, with SARS-CoV-1 or the original SARS virus, fortunately, it's once. 
And these people who've had SARS-1 over in China and elsewhere in Canada, they've been followed. It's been 17 years. There hasn't been a second case of SARS-CoV-1. It turns out SARS-CoV-2 or the COVID-19 virus is 90% the same as SARS-CoV-1. So we had an idea that it was going to be permanent immunity. And sure enough, if you look at how many people in the world have had this infection, if it was possible to get it a second time, if it really was possible, we would have seen hundreds of millions of people going back on the ventilator and being hospitalized over and over again. And we haven't seen it. The only thing we've seen is kind of a dribble of uh, false positive testing here and there. And, and the best thing to, to keep in mind is if you've had COVID-19, the respiratory illness like you and I, um, Malcolm, you know what? We should never have a test for it again. So that way we don't risk getting these false positive tests, but it has to do with the nature of the virus. This virus is basically amenable to permanent immunity. Now with the flu, what happens with the flu is it has what's called hemagglutinase and neuramidase. And these are uh, antigenic sites and the flu uh, goes, goes through what's called antigenic drift. It's almost like a, it kind of blows in each year, like a different set of seasonal allergies. And then the flu strains are tracked. And because it drifts slowly over time, the vaccine has to be adjusted to it. And you can actually get flu uh, over and over again, but you cannot get uh, mumps, uh, you can't get measles, you can't get chickenpox, and you can't get COVID-19 over and over again. It's just, we're fortunate on that one. All right. Joanne says, I, I look at your website every day. It is how I stay informed on all that is happening. Thank you for all that you do. Um, please thank Dr. Peter McCullough for his protocol, which we used last month when my husband and I had COVID. We are in our late 70s and could not obtain a script for ivermectin from our do doctor or a telemed conference call. Uh, my husband noticed that some of the script meds were from India. And this is interesting. He went online and ordered ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and antibiotics from India. They arrived all well-marked and in blister packs. We followed the protocol and had already been taken vitamin D3, zinc, et cetera. By the grace of God and your uh, informational website, we are recovering, but still have had shortness of breath and upset stomach six weeks later. I've read that, that continued use of ivermectin can help. Would you ask Dr. McCullough, please, if this is true uh, with the ivermectin? Does it help after the fact? You know, I am not uh, subscribing to uh, ivermectin for prolonged use at, at that level. So um, the longest I've suggested in any of our protocols that we go with hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin is 30 days. And I've certainly done that in my clinical practice. I'm not sure the value of ivermectin beyond that. Uh, one is going to feel in your 70s with COVID-19, I'm telling you, um, the breathing may not be right for three or six months. Uh, I can tell you I'm younger than that, but I didn't feel right for easily a month. I wasn't the same person. You probably uh, can attest to that too, yeah. Malcolm. Yeah. Well, I can. And my wife can surely because she was in critical uh, shape, as you know, worse than uh, you and I both, uh, Dr. McCullough, you know, and um, she, um, I mean, many of you probably heard me before. We almost lost her in the ICU um, because she had that terrible car accident prior to her, her immune system was heavily compromised. Uh, but, but the point is that um, it, you, it's, it's really about uh, your faith and the regiment of doing all of these protocols and, uh, and pushing through. And, uh, and, and she's had some lingering effects, but she's getting better. And, you know, we're hopeful and optimistic uh, that she will uh, uh, prevail here. And I 
economy, she definitely will prevail. But get the quality of life back is what I'm speaking about here. Well, listen, uh, let me take a quick moment and tell you all we are with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough here. And uh, this is uh, another uh, Q&A here. These have been uh, really entirely the most successful programs and very, very important to get the information out. And we so appreciate uh, uh, being able to deliver all of this information to you. Now, I want to mention to you that... uh, uh, the information we're talking about is for educational purposes. Let's be clear. It, it, you have to have that personal interaction with your own physician, uh, your, your own people in your circle. You, you can't you know, rely on other things. I mean, this is great for education purposes and have the knowledge and information, but it doesn't replace that visit with your own physician sort of thing. So, and we understand it's important you get the right physician, but it's important for you to understand as well that we can't, every case or question is very personal and we certainly don't know all the facts and details of that. So as you can imagine, it's it's difficult. So this is more general, the information. Uh, the other thing is, I, I want to give you a program and know this is going to be extraordinary what I share with you uh, now. Uh, we've been planning on this for several months, actually. It was hard to get the two gentlemen together, uh, but we're actually going to do this. Uh, so next week, uh, I want to mention to you, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough here uh, uh, on the broadcast, who is truly there, and uh, also uh, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Now, he is the founder of Healthy Cell. He is a very interesting man. He's a Nobel Prize nominee, uh, very interesting uh, because he uh, his product really talked about the health of our cells. And and this was a very interesting moment it was obviously before COVID when the company was founded. But we're going to do a Q&A, very interesting Q&A. We will take specific questions on the cell health, that sort of thing in, in this era of COVID we're in, as well as other things. And uh, we'll be airing that next week. And let me just give you the date on that now. It will air on uh, November 10th, a Wednesday, November 10th, Wednesday. You can hear that on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It will go to podcast uh, by Friday the 12th. Uh, you can get it on demand there on any podcast network. And of course, at the front uh, page of our site at, at americaoutloud.com. It's going to be a very extraordinary program. I'm looking forward to it, uh, to have all of this excellence on that one broadcast with Dr. Vincent Giampapa and Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, it'll be great to have both of them interacting on this. So I invite you to listen to that exactly. Uh, in the meantime, as we pause here, uh, the other thing is the daily regiment of healthy cell is 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 vital. It's it's an important part of my life. In addition to walking every day and walk. In fact, I have my wife out walking with me, and we're just enjoying the opportunity to walk several miles a day. Uh, I've got her up to about two and a half, two point eight. I typically do four or five miles a day, uh, but you know, it, that pushes it for her. But that's remarkable seeing that, you know, she was an ICU for 10 days and just barely escaped the, the ventilator, you know, so we're truly blessed, uh, believe me. Um, but anyways, in addition to that healthy cell, uh, it comes in gel form. Uh, they have the immune super boost. They have the uh, the AMPM product. I take both, uh, by the way. Uh, REM sleep helps you sleep at night, focus. The, their products are second to none. They're an amazing uh, group of products there. Uh, all our listeners get 20% off the first order. Very simple. Uh, HealthyCell.com forward slash outline and you're entitled to that, uh, or uh, just click the banner ad back at americaoutloud.com or even our media player. You see the banner ad on that. We just revamped our media player. If you go to the website and click listen live, uh, you'll get that. And it's very, very attractive. It's very, very cool, actually. So anyways, we're going to take a quick pause, my fellow Americans, but we will return just after the pause here. You're listening to the voice of a nation. 
Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Out Loud Talk Radio, this is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall Vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at LibertyAtAmericaOutloud.com. Liberty at AmericaOutloud.com. Welcome back to the Voice of a Nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, yours truly, and it's a pleasure to be with you. And I always consider it a privilege to have you in uh, uh, our company here. So thank you for being part of this. Uh, you'll catch uh, this program, The Voice of a Nation, weekdays, uh, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. And there is an encore at 10 p.m. Now, that's Eastern time, but you can hear us anywhere in the world on the iHeartRadio network, uh, for sure. And uh, you can uh, we have our own apps as well on Apple, Android, or Alexa, or that amazing media player I was telling you about before the pause there. Uh, just hit the Listen Live button back at AmericaOutloud.com. Um, all right, let's get right back to it. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough is here with me as we take on more of these questions, and, and we're happy to, uh, to get these answers out to you. This next one is from from Deanna. Deanna says, God bless you for all that you are doing to save lives. Thank you so very much for your kindness and compassion for human life. Mm. We are living in a very scary world right now, Nazi Germany. My anxiety levels are through the roof as I am very afraid for myself and my family and for what is yet to come. It's only because of doctors like you from uh, that I can sleep at night. Please don't stop fighting for all of humanity. We need your help. Again, thank you for your service and God bless you. Dr. McCullough, I had to read that. It wasn't a question, but I thought it was an important email. You know, there's two points of fear, Malcolm. People are fearful of COVID-19, the respiratory illness, and now they're becoming equally as fearful of the vaccine and all the all the consequences of the vaccine and how it's basically divided families, separating people from their employment, uh, breaking their connections. So now this is a two-pronged problem. In many ways, I think 
COVID-19 was easier before the vaccines. Mm, Wow. All right. Next one is from uh, Rebecca. I have a question about the use of the uh, monoclonal antibodies for post-exposure prophylactically. Uh, My husband's father has COVID and my husband was exposed to him just briefly before he knew he was infected. Uh, My husband just had a PCR test and we are awaiting the results. His doctor recommends that he gets the monoclonal antibodies no matter whether he is PCR positive or negative. I'm not against him taking the antibodies, but in this case, could he not just take ivermectin instead as per the FLCCC protocol? Uh, I know that the antibodies are important, but not without risk. He has no COVID symptoms. He's 65 and overall good health, but he does have an uh, uh, autoimmune disease, uh, which is under control. Uh, Love to hear your thoughts, Dr. Dr. McCullough. How this works out is, okay, so let's say we have a group of seniors, people over 65. If there's a group of seniors and close contact and one of them has COVID-19, they can get the intravenous infusion of monoclonal antibodies, Regeneron, or now GlaxoSmithKline. Uh, the GlaxoSmithKline product, very impressive results. It's called Sotripamav. And with this product, there's an 85% reduction in hospitalization and death. So I really think this EUA product available since May of 2021, the GlaxoSmithKline product really should be looked at carefully. Now, for the other contexts that don't have COVID and they're caught within a reasonable time frame, they can actually get the monoclonal antibodies by injection uh, in the skin, either in the love handle part of the body or in the thighs. And that's reasonable as a prevention measure. Um, I would say that, yes, that's aggressive and very high risk people should consider that. A fallback measure is to use again, the povidone iodine after close exposure, One can actually do povidone iodine dilute oral and nasal washes uh, four times a day for about three days in order to, in a sense, zap the virus before one contracts it from a close contact. I think either one of those strategies is wonderful, probably more effective, by the way, than taking prophylactic ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. Obviously, you can put all those together. So there's a range of choices. All right. And uh, you you are suggesting that we all have love handles there as well, uh, I, I see. But uh, you don't need to comment on that. Renee asked the question, <laughs> if you've taken the vaccine and you get a breakthrough case of COVID, do you then produce antibodies to the virus or does the vaccine destroy that possibility? My understanding is that you do develop uh, robust and complete immunity until it's proven otherwise. I don't, I don't want anybody who took the vaccine to feel as if they've been penalized. It, the vaccines uh, don't work well enough uh, and it disappointed uh, many of us. And the, the safety is certainly alarming. But if you've taken the vaccine and you've gotten COVID-19, it still is my practice experience that it's an easier syndrome to treat than if someone hasn't taken the vaccine. And listen to this one from Vicky. She says, I've read that the monoclonal antibodies may cause increased risk for reinfection. I'm concerned about this as I know my natural immunity would have been strong, uh, stronger after recovery from COVID. I suspect those who are reporting this are just vaccine advocates who are not considering natural immunity. Do the monoclonal antibody treatments make null my own natural antibodies? No, they don't, although it's a theoretical concern. If you look at the FAQ sheet that occurs w- uh, with the monoclonal antibodies, if you've ever gone for an infusion, one of the things it says on the sheet is that if you take these monoclonal antibodies, they may impair your future immunity to COVID-19. And it's just a theoretical warning. I think, honestly, it's misplaced and it's causing un- undue concern. These monoclonal antibodies are life-saving. I don't think anybody should have any hesitation if you're older, high risk. Get the monoclonal antibodies. And everything we can see right now is the immunity clinically 
is robust, complete, and durable. Uh, this one's from Dr. Timothy. I'm a family physician from Memphis, Tennessee. So grateful for Dr. McCullough and you, Malcolm. My question, the FDA made this mystifying announcement in June, and it's this. The FDA reached a milestone of approving 1,000 original and supplemental generic drug, drug applications to help in the treatment of patients with COVID-19 since the start of the pandemic. Have you heard of this? Any idea what this means? Why are these what, where are these approved generics? And presumably they don't include the prophylactic things uh, that we've been talking about here, like ivermectin and DCQ, that sort of thing, therapeutic drugs. Your thoughts? I believe those are referring to what's called INDs or investigation of new drug applications. So those are just applications to use existing generic products. I can tell you probably at least a third of those are hydroxychloroquine because I know because I hold one of the INDs because uh, I applied for it back in March of 2020 and got it. Uh, but there are also INDs for ivermectin, fluvoxamine, uh, a whole variety of other products. I don't think they're actually new generic entries. It's just applications to test existing drugs in the treatment of COVID-19. As Stephanie says, thank you for this platform. I'm trying to find a protocol for detoxin from inoculation with ivermectin. Uh, my husband has recovered from the virus last October, but now he is being forced to get in inoculated or face termination. We did obtain the medicine of ivermectin, and I did see a protocol on the FLCC website. However, how long does he take this ivermectin, and does he take it after each in inoculation or booster? I can't give personal medical advice. This is one of these direct questions, I can simply tell you that taking the vaccine after one has already had COVID-19 is the highest risk situation. So we know this is one of the few conditions where it's clear it's a much higher risk than someone who hasn't been exposed to the virus. And not only that, but it's not needed. So if he's forced into it by his employer, he really is being put at an enhanced risk. And in fact, most state public health codes say that in order to force a vaccine on somebody, that one has to be what's called an imminent public health risk. And there's no way that anyone could take her husband and declare that he's an imminent health risk because he can't get the virus. He can't give it to anybody else. So, you know, I think this is an opportunity uh, instead of trying to, again, uh, you know, satisfy the temporary social contract and take this personal health risk, I think this is one where apply for exemptions, medical and religious, and then if re refused, then go ahead and dispute it. I wouldn't try to fulfill this social contract for what, three months more of employment or six months? Remember, follow Israel. In Israel now, after six months, one reverts back to being unvaccinated. Your status changes. And once you've taken the jab, six months later, now you're unvaccinated again, and you have to get in line in order to uh, get that, again, that social contract of being vaccinated. Uh, you know, that is uh, the answer to the question that we just gave us, I, I think could potentially be one of the most important answers that Dr. McCullough just answered on that question, uh, because there's so much wrong with that question and uh, the way they're being coerced. Uh, it just it's important that you take that advice, I think, and, and really make the right decision for you um, not to be put in these compromising situations. Uh, one last one real quick on the med here. This is from Marsha. Uh, what are your thoughts about using uh, veterinarian horse vermectin adjusted for my body weight instead of prescription since none of my doctors will prescribe. And, and I, I've never brought that kind of question up for you. And I've heard quite a few people ask it about the horse ivermectin. What do you say to that? You know, as medical doctors, uh, we are in no way 
uh, endorsing the use of veterinary ivermectin. Uh, and veterinarians use this. It's a safe product for animals. Although, Malcolm, I have to tell you this anecdote. Uh, there are two very elderly people in our social circles that I've known for years. One of them's a patient. Uh, one had a hip fracture and in the hospital. The husband unfortunately fell and broke his neck. So they're both in their hospital. They're both flat on their back. And you know what? They get COVID-19. Uh, and so they both have COVID-19. They are stuck in the hospital. And so what the son did is he took the veterinary ivermectin, which looks like a tube of toothpaste, and he put it in a, a, a box, a, a toothpaste box, and told the nurses that he wanted his uh, uh, he wanted his parents to actually use this specific type of toothpaste. And then he messaged them how to take the veterinary ivermectin. And so while they were denied care, which is typical in the hospital, they got almost no care for COVID-19. They actually surreptitiously took ivermectin uh, in the hospital, the veterinary ivermectin, and they survived COVID-19. I had to tell you that. Wow. wow. Well, I, a lot of people have referenced that. It's been a lot of news stories. We've never talked about it here on the Q&A, so I, I thought it's worthy of uh, touching on that. Let me get a, just a few last ones in here. This one is from Katie. I live in the UK and I'm trying to access the T-cell testing to understand my natural immunity. Uh, Oxford Immunotech offers the T-spot COVID uh, test. Uh, please, can you advise how this compares to the T-detect test you frequently discuss in your Q&As? And this one was on a site called uh, tspotcovid.com. You, you know that? No, I'm going to have to research that one, uh, Malcolm, but I'm glad to see other T-cell immunity products moving forward. Okay. The next one is from Maria. I am a past uh, PICU nurse and have been closely following this unbelievable progression of medical tyranny. <laughs> Say that fast three times, right? I have a question that I cannot seem to find the answer. Early uh, during the pandemic, there was some discussion on whether patients on ARBs for hypertension may be protected due to the blocking of the ACE2 receptors, therefore decreasing the entrance of COVID into the cells. Do you have a, or any on the network have any information on this? There've been a whole range of publications. I'd say in general, the ACE inhibitors, uh, drugs like lisinopril, ramipril, and allopril, they baseline are protective against uh, mortality with COVID-19 and less so for ARBs. But in general, we don't stop these drugs in COVID-19 in, uh, unless uh, patients have low blood pressure. All right, Katie says, I was hoping that you could tell me where to get the natural immunity wristband that Dr. McCullough was wearing during one of his recent presentations. I want to wear it in an upcoming meeting and also share it with friends. Do you know about this? Yeah. Boy, that's an eagle eye uh, listener who was paying attention there. Mike Shirky, who's the Senate Re uh, Republican Majority Leader in Michigan, ordered them. He had a big bag of them and he was passing them out. It turns out you can order natural immunity wristbands on the internet. I think any one of these wristband manufacturers can do it. I think it's a wonderful idea because it's the one thing that, that someone can do if they've had COVID-19 just as a talking point that they're naturally immune. In fact, I wear it in the clinic. And you know, I respectfully wear a mask because that's the rules. But when I see a patient in the exam room, I let them know, listen, I've had the uh, virus. I can't get it again. I can't pass it. 
you know, are we comfortable in terms of taking off the mask? Each person's different, uh, but I want to be respectful. And many say, listen, doc, I, I just soon take this mask off. I'm, I'm comfortable. Amen. Hallelujah to that. Um, Casey says my company, uh, which is a health insurance company, a large one is uh, stating that the reason they will not accept COVID antibodies is the CDC study on immunity after COVID. From what I can see, it is using the review from Kentucky, which is only 600 total patients over two month period. One of the limitations is that they are not testing the immunized. Immunized. Um, can you provide peer review uh, studies that I can use for my plea to keep my job? Uh, Paul Alexander has now published, we're up to, I think, 102 studies supporting natural immunity. Go to the Brownstone Institute and look for Paul Alexander, 102 studies supporting natural immunity. The Kentucky study that was published in the MMWR, in my view, is invalid because what it does is it basically, it represents what's called testing bias. Do you know if someone takes the vaccine, the CDC says, don't do any more tests. And so if someone takes the vaccine, they actually don't have tests before gallbladder surgeries, heart catheterizations, other things. However, if someone has not taken the vaccine, but they're COVID recovered, they're treated as if they're so susceptible, even though they're not. And so they're subjected to far more testing. So because the naturally recovered are, are subjected to more unnecessary testing, there's possibilities for false positives. And that's what happened in the Kentucky study. The vaccinated, they simply just don't get the tests. So we have a bogus case count in the Kentucky study, making it look as if those who got vaccinated have lesser cases of COVID in the future, where it's all false positive testing. The Kentucky study reported no clinical outcomes. There was no report whether or not someone was sick. I think it's all false positive testing. Okay. All right. Um, so a couple of footnotes here to uh, fill everybody in on. And uh, first is uh, the McCullough report. Okay. Uh, so uh, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough's show, uh, that program plays every weekend, Saturday and Sunday on the network on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Now plays at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Okay. Uh, and there is an encore at 7 p.m. Saturday and Sunday. You can hear that on the network. We have incredible programming all weekend long. You can learn a lot and be inspired actually as well. There's some terrific, terrific program. In fact, after Dr. McCullough at, at two o'clock is uh, Dr. Henry Ely, who I've also been doing some Q and A's with, as many of you know, who's just a tremendous force, uh, energetic health radio that plays at 3 PM by the way, on Saturday, Sunday as well. But I want to mention that to you. Now, all the shows go to podcast and they'll go to podcast typically Monday, no later than Tuesday morning, all the shows on the weekend. So you'll catch the McCullough report there as well on the podcast network. Uh, that other footnote, just to remind you now, uh, next week, extraordinary Q&A we're going to have. I, we've been planning this for months. Uh, it's going to be with uh, Nobel Prize nominee, uh, Dr. Vincent Giampapa uh, of Healthy Cell, and with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm going to be like a kid in a candy uh, store on this one, I have to tell you. Uh, that'll be on Wednesday, the 10th of November. You can tune in and listen to that on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It will go to podcast on Friday the 12th or so, uh, so catch it there. Uh, listen, it's all back at americaoutloud.com. Help us share the out loud truth. And uh, we're on a mission here of liberty and justice for all my friends. Thank you for being part of the mission here. It's time uh, to get involved and get loud.